Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week I talked to Michael Zal, CEO of Yellowbird, about how EHS professionals are venturing into the gig economy. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Michael Zal, CEO of Yellowbird. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Uh, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here, and I know you've been on the program before, but I was wondering if... Um, you could indulge me and tell me a little bit about yourself and about Yellowbird. Yeah, happy to do it. Um, well, first, I guess we'll start with me. I am a, I guess you would call me a serial entrepreneur, although the honest answer to that statement is uh, the time span between me starting companies is usually somewhere between eight and 10 years. So it's not really like I go back to back to back, uh, but I've been in technology my entire career. Um, Yellowbird is a software company and I'll get into that in a moment. Um, but I am a husband of 22 years and um, a father of two. Oh, very good. You're 2000. You, you yep. can't do math either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always know what and my industry is going to be. So, <laughs> and then it's uh, my uh, my son is eighteen, uh, who's going to be graduating high school this year and going to college. And my daughter is thirteen, and she is going into high school. Nice. So that's that's me personally. That's my background. And I live in Scottsdale, Arizona now, and um, just love it out here. It's a it's a great place to live. Um. So tell me about Yellowbird. So. Yellowbird is, for lack of a better definition, we are a software company that helps um, people that want to develop a side hustle in specialty um, areas of EHS. And so you can think of us, I, I, I liken it to back in the day when our folks and people that are older in their career would retire or get ready to retire. And they'd always be asked that, you know, that question, just like when kids are coming out of uh, high school, they're like, oh, where are you going to college? What are you going to do next? You yeah. Know? And in the and in the career, when you're getting into the end of your career, they go, OK, well, you're going to retire. So what are you going to do? You're going to golf. You're going to. And people unilaterally seem to answer the same way, which is I'm going to consult. And which is an absolutely appropriate answer because they have now 20, 30, 40 years of experience and they should consult. It's the best thing in the world for society and for the environment for them to consult. The challenge is, is that if you've worked your keister off for the last 30 years, the last thing you want to do is go shake trees and try and develop business to sure. uh, to become a consultant. It's, it's really a pain. And so the vision for Yellowbird, um, because I look at Yellowbird as very similar to many other two-sided marketplaces as they call them, like Uber or Lyft or mm -hmm. um, you know any of these other software companies that match people with functions. I was looking at this industry and said, you know, the complexities of this industry are so vast. You can go from industrial hygiene to fall protection training to OSHA 30 to HazWopper and Hazmat services, all the way to clean rooms and mine shafts with the same degree theoretically so what makes up somebody who can do that kind of stuff yeah and it came to me to create yellowbird purely under the the idea of i think i could help people consult and so that's basically what yellowbird is it's a three-year-old platform for environmental health and safety experts very cool so 
What's the, well, I guess in general for EHS professionals, what's the job market looking like now? I know like things were going pretty well uh, a year and a half ago or so when you talked to us last, but you know, what's it look like now with obviously the economy changing and things like that? It's, um, it's really crazy out there. It's really crazy out there, not just for EHS professionals, but just for the the economy in general for staffing. You're hearing this week, I don't know when this is going to be released, but this week is the week that that uh, that um, um, that Twitter laid off fifty yeah. percent of their folks, and now there's talk of of uh, Facebook, uh, um, Meta doing the same thing. Um, there's just there's just a lot of layoffs going off. They're going to hit everybody, unfortunately. Um, they're not discerning when it comes to industry, when it comes to this type of thing. And so I really do believe that our industry is going to be fine because of the multiple hats that most EHS professionals wear. Uh, you know, you're, I used to talk about, uh, how originally the industry was health and safety and then it became environmental health and safety, and then it became environmental health, safety, and quality. And now they're adding environmental health, safety, quality, and sustainability. Right. And it's still like it's still like one person or three people that head up these departments, thinking, "How the heck am I going to do all this stuff?" Mm-hmm. And so, I think from an, I think from a job security perspective, we're going to be all right um, in the industry. But I think the ability to open recs and hire more people internally with fu- full-time employees is going to get more challenging. I, mm-hmm. I believe that we as leaders in this industry are going to need to learn to do more with less. And um, not that we ever haven't been asked to do that. Say, yeah. <laughs> it seems to be the, that seems to be the way it's been forever. Um, but if you can use something like a yellow bird to go and get the resources that you need for the function that you need without carrying that long-term liability, I think that's really going to give us in, at Yellowbird some tailwind and hopefully help people who really need the help that don't have the budget anymore, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and you, you sort of touched on it a few minutes ago, but what kinds of skills does an ideal EHS professional have? Like what, obviously, like you mentioned, it, it's so wide ranging, you know, it's every industry uh, and there's multiple hats, but what, you know, when you're looking or evaluating folks, you know, what are you looking for? You know, it's funny you should ask that question. It's an interesting question because I always say we're looking for experts and professionals and and folks that are inside these very niche markets. The reality is, I think that's actually not true. What we're really looking for is somebody with a generalized knowledge that can help with the execution of very specific things. So like as an example, if you have, you know, and we always go back to certifications, but even if you don't have certifications, we can help you on this platform. But let's just say you have an ASP, you know, it's a relatively entry level. It's the first level of the BCSP, you know, uh, tiers that go up through the board of uh, certified safety professionals. And, well, there's a lot of functional things that we hear every single day that people need help with. Um, I need somebody to go out and do a loss control assessment, or I want somebody to go and review um, this checklist for, um, you know, we're at headquarters and there's 300 locations across the country. And I'm either going to have five of my people traveling on an airplane over the next six months, or I get 300 Yelbert professionals to go out to each of those sites 
And maybe we can get that done in 30 days for them instead of getting it done in the six month or a year period. The skills though, I would say that we're most focused on is, um, you know, it, generally speaking, it's the trainers that are most in demand. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, OSHA 10 and OSHA 30. So that means that you have to have your, you have to have your 510 or your, your 500, your OSHA 500 um, that you can actually train people. We have a lot of training needs, specialty trainers we're seeing a lot of, and that's what I'm excited about. I think we're going to get more at Yellowbird into upskilling where maybe somebody has been doing general, general safety work, but if they went through a course to become a forklift safety trainer, they could make, you know, a thousand dollars on an afternoon training people on safety. Right, right. Um, even on, even in the gig economy, even if you're full-time employed, where you say, I'm going to take Friday afternoon off and I'm going to go teach a forklift training program. Yeah. Um, so, you know, talking about side hustles and consult, you know, consulting, however, whatever you want to call it, uh, you yeah. know, you, you kind of mentioned that, uh, you know, it's folks kind of nearing the end, end of their career looking forward. But I imagine that like, you know, there was younger folks who were kind of looking at this too, especially given what's happened in the last couple of years, maybe they don't want to, you know, go into an office anymore, but they can do this. Uh, you know, what are the kinds of folks uh, that you're seeing doing these kinds of, this kind of work? You know, it's interesting you should say that because I'm, uh, I, I'm on LinkedIn a fair amount and I'm a data kind of a person. And one of the, um, one of the uh, pieces of research that was published recently was from the um, the Realtors Association. Mm -hmm. And it said for the first time in 2021 and 2022, the distance from person's first home to the person's next home when they sell a house and they get a new house is now over 50 miles. Mm -hmm. And so what that tells me by looking at that is that people are going to become more used to working from home. They're kind of that new reality is actually reality. If you're buying, if you're selling your home and you're moving 50 miles from that first location right. to the second, then you're pretty open to working from home and doing, you know, doing remote work. And I think that's a really interesting stat. So, I mean, and it was almost a straight line across since the 90s. And then all of a sudden it just jumped over 50 in the last two years, which I found to be fascinating. Hmm. Along those lines, that's where the gig economy plays in, in a lot of these circumstances and people looking for other ways of making income and other things that they can, that they're focused on and that they can do. Um, I'm actually seeing a fair amount of people that are early in their career now joining Yellowbird. When I said the original idea, truly it was the original idea of hmm. Yellowbird, which was 2019 where I thought it was going to be a, a migration path for people retiring, kind of soft landing into retirement. You know, I, I live in Phoenix, Arizona, where it's 110, <laughs> 115 degrees in the summer. And the idea of going to a, um, you know, doing a consulting job in Montana during the summer um, for a retired person was probably pretty compelling. You know, that, yeah, yeah. It, was that <laughs> it was that mindset, right? And then, we start getting more, our average ages have been coming down. Hmm. Folks who are graduating, um, our needs are increasing for safety coordinators, um, on-site people for events, things to that effect, where you say, look, we'd really like to have people who understand the concept of OSHA, people who understand the concepts and have been trained rudimentarily on 
um, these guidelines, and we need 30 safety coordinators to go out to this to this event. Well, that might not pay. You know, our average pay for the more senior folks can be upward of of 80, 100 dollars an hour, mm-hmm. and even more. And if you're just getting out of school, if you're getting 30 bucks an hour, that's a heck of a lot best than, better than you are um, waiting tables, right? And yeah. so from that perspective, that's an interesting thing. The gig economy, what I think has really helped us just in general is people's willingness and understanding of the fact that a side job is not an insult. It's not demeaning. It's not beneath them. Um, you know, we do background checks. We give you insurance. So both professional liability insurance and general liability insurance, additional auto coverage, as well as um, occupational accident coverage. So we have four kinds of insurances, over $5 million worth of insurance for that's included. I mean, we cover it. Whether you do work with us or not, you have to be doing the Elbert work in order to obviously be covered right. by it. Right. But if you're on our platform, we have that. And then we pay our professionals in 48 hours. And I think the difference in those two things, the speed of getting paid and having us handle all the all the junk, all the BS associated with right. what it means to market yourself and then get a contract with the customer and then build the, do the work and then build the customer and then collect from the customer. It's like most people who uh, have never done any consulting work are like, that sounds a little bit much for me. Right. I would imagine that would scare people away from it, right? It's just all that, right. worrying about all that because that's what it used to be. Yeah, it was. And so if I said to somebody, hey, I have a great job for your skills. You have to show up tomorrow morning. Here's what you do. Just do the, your job. And in two days, you're going to get a check and we got everything else covered for you. It's a heck of a lot Sounds easier. Good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's you know it's I mean it's not always perfect. You know there it's it's you know you're dealing with human beings and it's the piece that's you still have to be great at your job. You still have to be a good at customer service. You still have to be considerate and nice and all the things that you are ex- expected of you. But the administrative piece is handled for you and not just on our platform it's true with uber that's why so many people like Mm -hmm. uber Mm -hmm. um my son is doing the one for grocery stores right now he just turned 18 the first thing he wanted to do was do instacart okay and uh you know and he but he couldn't tell he was 18 he just turned like last week and he uh signed up for instacart and he's like yeah dad i made 50 bucks you know i went and got the groceries and i went and dropped them off and you know, for somebody who's 18 years old, that's a, you know, that's a score, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But he does, but he didn't have to do all that other stuff. Of course, I'm paying for his gas. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> it is 18. Um, so, you know, when it comes to side hustles, obviously, it's not a new concept. I mean, like you said, you know, it's been going mm-hmm. on for a long time. But uh, I imagine that the demand is much greater now you know, from people wanting to do it just because of things like inflation and, you know, uh, everything costs more and you just, you know, people feel the need to, it's not just a, a, you know, keeping yourself busy kind of thing. It's, you know, I need to do this to pay the bills. Right. You know, it's an interesting statement. Um, Most marketplaces, which is kind of what we're called uh, from a technical perspective, we're a two-sided marketplace. Um, Any, any site or app that matches Sellers with buyers is considered a marketplace, yep. right? And for people who are not familiar with the term, 
but it's it has been historically that you know you have more demand than you have supply in the safety world getting um we actually have far more supply on yellowbird than we initially did in demand hmm. we are now just starting to hit that 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 demand curve where we have over 3,500 people that have registered on the platform on Yellowbird across the nation. Now, some of those people are are not match ready yet. Some of them are have not filled out all their documentation or have not gone through our process. We have about a thousand people that are ready to work that are actually match ready. So I have to my onus is finding jobs to keep these folks busy. And you can't to this day. I have maybe. I have, we have as Yolbert, maybe 40 or 50 people who are full-time that can make a good, close to six-figure or above six-figure living on Yellowbird. But the rest, um, we have, you know, folks who are getting dribs and drabs, getting yeah. opportunities as they come up. And my goal over the next 12 months is to get more consistency for our pros. So they, because it's not like, right now unfortunately it's not like instacart or uber um where the demand is so high that if you log in you're immediately going to get right you're you know you're going to make something yeah. today right and right now we're not at that point but we're getting there fast is part of that because businesses don't realize that they can do this that they can hire folks like this are they more looking yeah. at it as a full you know we, we need to find somebody full time not realizing that we could hire somebody, you know, for a, just for a gig or for a short period of time. Yes. It's funny. You should say that because one of the interesting things is we see, we as in my group and the community see posting of full-time positions online all the time. And you'll see that it's been open for six weeks or eight weeks or everything else. And I'm always going to the sales team and saying, Look, contact these folks and tell them that we can help fill that spot even for the six or eight weeks until you get a full-time employee. Right. You know, the job, the need is obviously there. So who's doing that in the interim? And this industry, unfortunately, runs a little, they're slower to change. But when it happens, you know, at one point, this, you know, at one point, nobody used, you know, resp respirators and and, you know, it took a while, but then everybody and then you get respirator fit testing and you have proper filtration and you get an, an industrial hygienist to help you and all that stuff. But there was a point where the whole thing was maybe, you know, make sure everybody's running has a piece of cloth over their mouth was the initial like, <laughs> yeah. you know, use your hanky, you, use your hanky. Exactly. <laughs> Tie a bandana around your face. You'll be fine. <laughs> They'll keep everything out. Yeah. Yeah, it should be fine. It should be fine. But, um, you know, for me, that's, I have to be patient and I am not patient. I am not a patient person. I know that about myself. Um, but one of the things that I do believe is that when folks start, I, what, what has been happening and what I'm trying to work around is businesses look at us as We've tried everybody else we know. We've tried everything else we've done. We've gone onto Google and we've searched, you know, safety consultant, and we're getting a bunch of yahoos that don't, you know, or we're not getting responsiveness, or we're not getting this, or they can't be registered fast enough. All these things, and then they try like five other things, and then finally, their last ditch effort is they yeah. contact Yellowbird, and we have somebody there in two days, and they're exceptional. And they're like, "Man, I wish I would have known about you earlier." And it's like, well. 
you do now. So let's start, you know, going. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wish I could get to the point, if I have to look at my hope for Yellowbird, is that people start thinking of us as among the first things they try. Instead, I don't need to be. Instead of a last resort. Yeah. Yeah, last resort. It's like, okay, it's a needle in the haystack. There's no way I'm going to find anybody. And yeah, we'll give this guy a whirl. We'll give Yellowbird a whirl. And it's like, I don't want that anymore. You know, that the way we can be successful is for people to really trust that we are doing a good job by them. Yeah. Um, so from the uh, professional standpoint, the EHS professional standpoint, what's sort of the, what's the advice that you give folks about the best way to balance a full-time gig with the side hustle? Yeah. So, well, first and foremost, don't do it only for the money. Um, and, and I say that truthfully because it's going to come across you and I always use these analogies of the, of the more rudimentary, you know, I always say, you know, Uber and Lyft and um, our driver's license and a pulse, but it's not, you know, sophisticated, but we know what it's like to drive with somebody who's really proud of what they're doing and like is, is, is charismatic and nice and enjoying it and, and really cares, has pride in it. And then we've all been in the place in the driver that, is rude and stinky and cars dirty and and it's like yeah if this is what the experience was like every time i think we would struggle i would say the first and foremost thing is don't just do things for the cash do it because you think you have a special aptitude for it um and whatever the side hustle is like my son's i keep bringing up my son i should bring up my daughter i, I will bring up my daughter i'll use an example for my daughter right. so my daughter so my daughter dances she's a uh she's um you know hip-hop and things like that for 13 year olds and the 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 lady i call her a girl she's probably in mid-20s but she does the dancing in the evenings and her side hustle is basically a dance instructor and she teaches these classes hmm. but she she has a full-time job and but she grew up dancing and she loves to stay in it and so forth that's a side hustle mm -hmm. that's a side hustle of something that she loves to do and that she's uniquely qualified to do and and she's passionate about it and she's great i would say my best advice to anybody is look for your side hustle and the thing that you bring the most value like if you have been working in manufacturing in and you would like to work with small man, let's say big manufacturing, let's say that you work for a, a big aerospace manufacturer or something. And I don't know if they even let you do it, but I'm just going to say that they do. Mm -hmm. And then you sign up on Yellowbird and you say, I would like to help small manufacturers put policies and procedures in place so people can be safe. Part of it is I've been doing this. It's I can do like the back of my hand. And part of it is I want to give back to the people who couldn't afford me. Like right. there's no way that, you know, I'll be arbitrary and say $180,000 a year in the job that you're in, right. in your big aerospace company that the small manufacturer is able to afford you. But if you could go out there and maybe for 5,000 bucks over a period of a couple of weeks, help them put a plan in not a couple of weeks and dead, you know, back to back, but right. over a period of time, help them, you're doing it for the money, but more importantly, you're doing it because you're uniquely qualified and that you love doing it. And I think that's the stories I hear the most from our pros mm -hmm. of, man, how did you find like the perfect gig for me? Like, well, that's what we do. That's, that's the, that's my secret sauce. And are you seeing, um, you know, on the other side, companies sort of now that they've been able to kind of avail themselves of your services, you know, 
now they'll kind of when they have a gap in the future that they need to fill, they'll look, they'll look to you guys. I know it's what you were kind of mentioning to be not be the last resort, but be one of the first things considered. Uh, are you seeing, are you getting that feedback too from, uh, from businesses you work with? We are, um, we've gotten all sorts of feedback. Um, many times the secret sauce is in tribal knowledge. And so companies that are hiring us expect our folks to have their tribal knowledge mm. And that's really, really difficult. And so what I will often say is we're getting better at getting a fuller description of what the expectations of success are. Can you describe what a successful engagement looks like to you? And, or do you have an example? Often we're doing reports, right? So they'll give us, now we, we didn't used to do this to be candid, but now we ask, do you have an example of a success where you can, you can obviously uh, redact the the individuals and anything sensitive but do you have an example of a complete report and do you have an example of what you would consider to be a failed report and we will provide that with the job because sometimes folks will say hey i need you to go out to this uh, location it's a tire warehouse in you know in the middle of nowhere and i want want you to run a mock OSHA inspection and we say okay do you have an example yeah no you know just haven't run any it doesn't really matter and then the people come back doing the best that they can, and they've done what they felt was an appropriate mock OSHA inspection. It covered all of the main points. They're like, you didn't even get into the, you know, whatever, that some arbitrary right. thing that nobody knows anything about. <laughs> like, so like, well, you didn't say that. that be was specific, a yeah. yeah, you got to be specific, right? Yeah. Like, and so for us, that's one of the things that we're learning as a company. Again, we're not that old. We're only three years old. And so... I'm not so arrogant to think that we've got it all figured out yet either, um, but we're we're getting a heck of a lot better. Like our failure rate is very low, less than one percent now. Mm -hmm. um, where candidly, when we first started, it was probably a good twenty percent. Um, you know, where people were not, and we would pay, and I'd pay for somebody to go back out there and do it again. Um, yeah, because you, I you know what people are looking for more now, and you know, I yeah. think I think yeah. obviously that's. Uh, learn by by uh, by doing and uh, and occasionally failing, right? Yep, <laughs> and that is the world of a startup, man. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I get a lot in this industry, and and I know since you serve the industry, you're probably gonna have people who say this to you about us. Is like they don't even have a lot of safety people on staff, and they're absolutely right. We don't. Um, the vast majority of my team are programmers and customer success people who coordinate um, the, getting people out and so forth. We have 3,000 experts that I can call on anything right. I need to know Right. Um, that can help us better. Like if, I, if somebody comes in and they say, I need um, for my logistics company, I need to have a trainer to train our truck drivers. Well, maybe I'll call somebody and say, what's the, what certs necessary for that? And they'll go, oh, that's DOT. You need to make sure you have DOT and make sure that you do hazmat because, you know, or hazardous materials is important because depending upon what they transport, hazardous materials transport is a very tricky thing. But I can call 100 people on my platform and I'll pay them for it, by the way. So if, they're on your, if you're on my platform, you'll, you'll probably make $100 for that phone call because I'd rather do that than get the answer wrong. But then we program right. the algorithm. Then we program the algorithm that next time somebody says, you know, um, you know, training, uh, logistics, I'll know DOT and, right. and then it will match to the right people, theoretically. 
and you know um so obviously uh you know the way you know we were talking about sort of the way the economy is going and and you know mm -hmm. people companies aren't going to be hiring as much and maybe be uh letting people go and uh, combine that with sort of the the transient nature of just younger workers where people kind of come and you know they work for like a year or two and then they go to another gig um so is there sort of also like a demand for uh you know institutional knowledge and and somebody to you know i think it's hard for companies to constantly have to train people up on on stuff so i mean is that kind of where your services might also be uh fill a gap where you've got experienced people who can kind of step in and sort of provide you know some some sort of uh that institution, even if it's not that institution, it's sort of, you know, industry right. knowledge. Yeah, it's an, a great question. You're thinking about it. You're thinking about it like one of my product managers thinks about it, because that is the type of thing. You know, if somebody has insurance, I'll just use insurance on mm -hmm. on their resume. And maybe you have been a member of RIMS, the Risk and uh, Risk Management Association you and maybe you've worked for an insurance company in loss control when a but you don't anymore but maybe that's a couple years back your knowledge from those days is not completely gone now is it up to speed and is it in is it in line you know we do work with some of the largest insurance companies in the world and every one of them says well we do things differently yeah and when you really start looking at what they they all do things differently and it's true because they have their own process and procedures but the fundamental program around risk and how to look at risk and how to look at um, are they in compliance with standard OSHA practices? Are there is their documentation up to date? Are they you know making sure that there's proper process and procedures? How are they handling loss and injuries? Things to that effect. If you if you work and I'll be arbitrary. If you work for Travelers ten seven years ago and then you went into something else the likelihood of you remembering what it was like at travelers then you know pretty good so yeah that's our my product managers are always digging into the resumes and trying to find what how far back would what they used to do match with what we need them to do now right. combined with that because everybody looks at just your last your last gig which in our world, you're right. I've been looking at resumes for, we're hiring a bunch of people internally here. And I've been looking at resumes. You'd be shocked how many people have a year, nine months, 13 months, 16 yeah. months. I'm like, I'm like, good Lord. And I have to watch myself because I find myself being judgmental about that. <laughs> um, because I'm like, okay, they won't stick it out anywhere. Um, but sometimes there's really good reasons. I mean, and lately and, it's you find more money and better better job you you go for it you know i think people right. are less you know i think you know uh older generations would be like all right i'm gonna get this job i'm gonna stay here for you know as long as i can you know now it's like all right you know something keep looking for something better while you're at the thing that you like right now so yeah absolutely not to mention that you know one of the things that we like to do internally is we have this program called try before you buy um and it's it's not what yellowbird's designed around but it's a really great value add where if you go to those full-time folks that are looking for full-time employment full-time employees and you have somebody we ask them would you be willing to take a full-time job if offered to you and so maybe you do a mutual date where you say okay we're going to bring you on contract for 60 days 
and there's no obligation on either side. And at the end of the 60 days, if they make them an offer, they make them an offer. We don't get a commission on those, by the way. Mm -hmm. Unlike placement companies, which half of my board thinks I'm nuts uh, <laughs> for not asking for a commission on things like that. And you never know, maybe that would change someday. But right now, we're trying to support the gig economy. And my hope is that both parties like doing it on contract so much that neither one wants to go to full FTE. Um, we'll see. <laughs> um, so, you know, you know, you mentioned supporting the gig economy. Do you just see uh, the need for, for the gig economy in this industry just growing? Do you feel that kind of the potential for growth is going to continue? I do. I do. What I think is going to end up happening, and we're going to focus on this happening, so if it's through Yellowbird, I would like to see upskilling as a method where you can take somebody who has, um, and I'll use an arbitrary example. Let's say somebody is a industrial safety expert, so they worked in industrial manufacturing. They've been working as a forklift trainer to get people to forklift safety training. And they've done heavy equipment, but they've never done crane certification. Mm -hmm. And crane certification is a very specific cert, and it's a very specific skill set. And just because you've done those other two does not mean that you could go and teach people how to right. manage safety on cranes. But we could look at those other two, and we could say, did you know if you became certified as a crane safety trainer, your wage would go from right. – Arbitrary, arbitrary number, $60 an hour to $100 an hour. Or, you know, I think the ability to upskill within the gig economy is going to be very, very interesting um, over time. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. And I also see people who want to leave health and safety, but maybe get into something that's ancillary, mm -hmm. that being on the Yellowbird platform over time, and this is not in the short term, but for the long term, we'll be able to take other professional skill matching and help. Very that's cool. The, that's the vision. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> well, Michael, oh, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Yeah, thank you. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad to come back. If you, uh, if you want to find out anything more about Yellowbird, go to goyellowbird.com. And uh, always connect with me on LinkedIn. My last name is spelled like Zales Jewelers, but two L's, Michael. And I would love to connect with anybody who wants to reach out. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That wraps up episode 134 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.